Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. I'm Rashad Salamat. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. All right. Well, uh, we are really looking at uh, Beijing, which is focusing in on the markets and uh, trying to really perhaps uh, solidify or try to uh, make these markets uh, less fragile, at least, with authorities asking some mutual funds now to avoid selling equities in order uh, to be- boost confidence and indeed uh, markets overall. Joanne Wong has more. Sources say stock exchanges issued the so-called window guidance to several large mutual fund houses. And these mutual fund houses were told to refrain for a day from selling more onshore shares than they purchased. This comes just a day after financial regulators announced a slew of measures to invigorate capital markets. But China's CSI 300 index has shown a lack of conviction, even as authorities boosted efforts to woo back investors. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Well, U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo is in China this week. She was speaking uh, earlier and saying the trade and transparency can serve as the foundation for better ties between these two trading partners. Here's Raimondo speaking in Beijing. We agree to establish a new commercial issues working group, a formal working group, which will involve U.S. and Chinese government officials, and very importantly, U.S. and Chinese commercial private sector representatives as we seek solutions on trade and investment issues and to advance U.S. commercial interests in China. That is Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. She went on to say that she told her Chinese counterpart Wang Wentao that the U.S. has no intention to hinder China's economic progress. And these two, that would be Raimondo and Wang, agreed to speak on a regular basis and at least meet once a year. Now, Wang said that China was ready to work with the U.S. to boost trade and to foster a more favorable environment for businesses, not just in the U.S., but in China as well. Rashad. Right. Well, we got President Biden be traveling uh, to Vietnam in September. He's set to meet with the general secretary there, Nguyen Phu Trong, and other leaders. Let's get details now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Biden plans to head to Hanoi on September 10th, where the leaders will discuss ways to deepen cooperation between the two countries. At a Democratic fundraiser earlier this month, Biden said he planned to visit Vietnam soon as the U.S. looks to strengthen ties with Asian nations and reduce Chinese influence in the region. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg, Daybreak Asia. Well, in China, BYD has reported its weakest revenue growth in more than a year. We have that story from Bloomberg's Bonnie Ao. Revenue rose just 67% to around $17.8 billion in the second quarter. China's auto market has been embroiled in a fierce price war this year. Still, net income more than doubled after the company sold a record number of plug-in hybrid and fully electric vehicles. 
BYD's still robust financial performance will help it as it navigates another period of market discounting. And its strong sales volume performance in recent months has enabled it to maintain its lead over Volkswagen as China's best-selling car brand this year. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie L. Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Well, back in the U.S., and uh, Goldman Sachs striking a deal to sell an investment advisory unit. Let's get details now from Bloomberg's Anne Cates. For an undisclosed price, wealth management firm Creative Planning will acquire the business aimed at the mass affluent market with $29 billion in assets. It grew out of United Capital, which Goldman purchased for $750 million in 2019. The offloading of the company just four years later signals Goldman's plans to refocus its attention on the ultra-rich where it has a dominant presence. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. We go to San Francisco next, where the Fed's head of bank supervision at the San Francisco Francisco Fed will depart at the end of October. He is Azar Abbasi. He will retire October 31st as executive VP of the Supervision and Credit Group at the San Francisco Fed. Now, Abbasi's office had oversight of both Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank, and he, along with the president of the San Francisco Fed, Mary Daly, came under scrutiny back in March when SVB and First Republic suddenly collapsed. Now, those episodes revealed management shortcomings at the San Francisco Fed in its on-the-ground supervision of small and medium-sized banks. Before we get to global news, I want to point out that chart watchers who have been looking for clues on the next move in the equity market have some crucial data to deal with. First is the 4,400 level for the S&P 500. Many technical analysts consider it to be key, and it's holding above that level, so it's a positive sign. However, if you look at the companies in the S&P 500 where their stocks are trading relatively to their 200-day moving averages, this is now evenly divided, half trading above, half below. That's a pretty distinct departure from late July when two-thirds of the members in the S&P 500 were above their 200-day moving averages. Now, some analysts regard this as a bearish indicator. Global News is next. Former President Trump learns another lesson when it comes to his trial dates. Dan Schwartzman has more from the Bloomberg Newsroom in New York. Danny. Doug, it's getting hard to keep track of all these trial dates and things on Donald Trump's calendar, but as of now, it's March 4th. This is for attempting to overturn the 2020 election. That date falls one day before Super Tuesday when 14 states, including Texas and California, hold their primaries. Trump is facing up to six criminal and civil cases, including lawsuits personally against him, his family, and his companies. Four of the cases are criminal, with all carrying potential prison sentences. Trump will first be in court on October 2nd in New York to face charges. He, along with his sons, lied to lenders and insurers about the value of his assets to get better loan rates and insurance premiums. Tropical storm Idalia is strengthening near Cuba as it heads toward Florida. Winds have now risen to 70 miles per hour, with forecasts saying they could reach 115 miles per hour, which would be a Category 3 hurricane. When it does reach Florida on Wednesday, according to disaster modeling firm Enki Research, Idalia could cause up to $10 billion worth of damages and in losses, depending on how it tracks. Governor Ron DeSantis has also now declared a state of emergency in 13 more counties counties, raising the tally to now cover 46 total counties. DeSantis says Florida is preparing with the federal government. I have spoken with the president. I've spoken with FEMA director Criswell, and then I've spoken with a number of local officials uh, throughout Florida's Gulf Coast, and, and everyone understands the significance of this event, and everybody is willing to work together to uh, achieve the best possible outcome for the residents of Florida. 
Tampa International Airport also will be closed on Tuesday. In a major milestone, starting Wednesday, China is going to stop requiring incoming travelers to have a negative COVID test before entering the country. Starting back in January, China had ended quarantine requirements for its citizens traveling abroad while gradually increasing the number of countries Chinese citizens could travel to, as well as increasing the number of international flights. For three years, China had locked down the country in that failed COVID zero policy, which included full city lockdowns and long quarantine periods for those infected. A school-wide alert was issued at the University of North Carolina's main campus at Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill of an armed and dangerous person on or near campus. Details have not been really made public yet. They're saying maybe one person was shot and uh, they were looking for one uh, suspect at the time, but the campus was locked down for a period of time. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper posting on X pledged state resources to capture the alleged shooter as well as to protect the campus. Now, the first alert was issued around one in the afternoon with armed officers and helicopters arriving on the scene for at least two hours past that. The police giving an all cleared around 4.14 local time, which ended the lockdown. Chapel Hill campus approximately has 20,000 undergraduate students and an additional 12,000 grad students. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Dan Schwartzman. This is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's get to our guest. George Cipollone is with us. He is portfolio manager at Penn Mutual Asset Management. He's on the line from Philadelphia. George, let's begin with the bond market. We had a move lower in yield today, which was somewhat of a reversal from the Friday session with what many regarded to be a hawkish commentary from the Fed chairman. How do you view the bond market right now? Hey, Doug, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, the bond market's in, in a really interesting spot because it, it seems to be fighting some of the conversation that, that has been had, I think, from the from the Fed overall. Obviously, the front end is is super high and, and it's being pushed up by the Fed. It's causing some consternation at banks and some deposit flight. And and overall, the long end, again, it, it's, you know, it, it's certainly a more flattish to uh, to inverted type yield curve at the moment. And and again, I think the market keeps waiting for the next signs of lower inflation, potential for a soft landing. And that's really what they want, because no matter what Powell seems to say, they don't seem to believe him yet that he's going to stay really, really tough on um, on rates. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you make that point. Uh, Bloomberg's Liz McCormick, who covers the Treasury market for us, was saying over the weekend that Powell has the bond market exactly where he wants it, lacking <laughs> conviction as to the next steps that the Fed may take. But if you take a look at this idea, which I think has been taking hold to some extent, maybe a little less so these days, that we're going to be looking at rate cuts after the first of the year. Is that something you're expecting? So, so I think there, there's a pretty interesting in corollary. If you go back, there have been 11 
um, periods of policy tightening, and roughly half of them have been hard landings, roughly half of them have been soft landings. So you really don't get too much guidance there. I think one of the things, as long as he, he keeps rates as high as he's kept them, which nobody's believed him, we can go back to March of 22 when he gave testimony to Senate. Uh, Senator Shelby didn't believe him that he was going to keep rates that high and stay tough on inflation. Even from last year at Jackson Hole, the market has not believed him. The stock market's up a lot since then. And even now with this most recent statement. So I think overall, you know, if, if you look at what the economy's doing, I think he's kind of banking on inflation coming off and giving him room to eventually cut in the future. George, I mean, it does seem that inflation and the target for 2% may be a little bit ambitious in the, the medium term because the nature and structure of inflation may well have changed and maybe we have to get used to inflation slightly being elevated because of various changes in the global uh, economic environment. I think you're right, Rashad, and I think that that's that's a big that should be at least a big fear. So if you want to take a lesson from history, from the Volcker days, obviously inflation did pull back, and then we had a resurgence. And I really think Powell does not want that. Obviously, nobody wants that. But just take you know one little small data point, and again, it's not all of inflation, but it's an important one for consumers. Gas prices are at or near their peaks in the U.S., and that's not a great sign for either any type of inflation input, or um, if you think of consumer confidence, how important gasoline is and how visible that price is. So yeah, I do think the Fed does not want to have that that replay of inflation like we had in past, in past episodes. So let's pivot to the equity market, George. Are you constructive right now? Do you think that the S&P 500 overall can continue to march higher? So I'm very much a stock by stock selector versus you know a broad index. If you look at the broad index, you know we are back at valuation levels. If you exclude that pre that that COVID period explosion in valuation, we're back at at former highs in terms of valuation. If you look at the earnings that have come in, what was really interesting this quarter, Doug, is that even Beats really did not appreciate after after earnings reports. And that was really different than past quarters. So what I think happened was expectations were pretty low. Earnings had been down from a growth standpoint the past three quarters. And so estimates kept coming down and then companies were beating these easier estimates. I think next quarter is important. The next few quarters are important because the market is expecting margins to come back and start to start to go up again. So again, there's a higher expectation there. On so I think the easiest place to to invest right now, quite frankly, is in a higher interest rate environment. Companies with good balance sheets, net debt-free balance sheets, a lot of cash are earning more interest income, and they aren't getting credit for it. Certainly not in the credit market, and I don't think in the stock market either. So I I, I think that's a nice safe place to go. Uh, George, I mean, you know, you look at corporate America and you've got to have some companies which are going to be really feeling it because they perhaps could cover over a multitude of sins by having free money. And uh, are we seeing stresses and strains? And if so, where? And do you yeah. think that this may be a good thing ultimately to perhaps see some uh, defaults or indeed some company failures because you need to sort the wheat out from the chaff? Rashad, you, you are absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. And so so where we see it is obviously on income statements. We are seeing companies that are debt laden are seeing explosions in, in their interest expense line. Now, on the flip side, like I said, and companies to focus on, companies that have a lot of cash are seeing an explosion of interest income. But to your point, yes, bankruptcies are starting to go up. One of the fears, you know, if you extrapolate that out, you'll start to fear, uh, you know, um, for a credit event potentially occurring. At this point, I think the maturity schedule is such where these companies can adjust. But no, to your point, ZERP allowed companies like Rite Aid, for example, 
to hang on way longer than they ever should have. Interest rates go up, Rite Aid's going to go bankrupt. You know, and if you think about a few names, a few high-profile names, Bed Bath and Beyond, for example, goes away. Hmm. The reason is because interest rates are high and they can't they can't um, satisfy that debt. So, George, as you know, on this program, we talk a lot about what's happening in the Asia Pacific region. Are there any opportunities offshore, very quickly, that you're seeing right now? I, I, it's funny. Japan has been extremely popular, as we know. Obviously, Buffett got involved. A lot of value investors got involved. But gosh, their balance sheets are so good. And it is one of the reasons why we, we have a few uh, Japanese ADRs in the fund. And and again, a lot of those companies are, are have been around for decades, and mm. their balance sheets are just great. And that, that helps in a, in a high-rate environment, for sure. George, thank you so much uh, for making time to chat with us here on uh, For Asia, the second day in the trading week. George Cipollone is Portfolio Manager at uh, Penn Mutual Asset Management on the line from Philadelphia here on DBA. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Rashad Salamat. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.